And we're live. All right, Doc, stop dancing. You know what? We don't want people to think you're having a seizure, Doc. Just just stop. No, JR. Oh. I know how to dance. It's the seizure thing was you. Eh, hush, hush, hush. That was supposed to be classified. You signed a non-disclosure agreement. I did hey, not. Are you, somebody forced your signature. I blame Mel. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. The podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our guests introduce themselves. So Mr. Jeremy Spires, uh, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners and viewers? Jeremy Spires, author of Ashes of Eternity series and some upcoming secret projects. Chuck Tingle. <clears throat> Sorry. Squirrels. Um, Steve, oh, I should have asked you how to pronounce your last name before we started, but I never remember that. So you're going to, Konchini? Yeah, it's Konechny, actually. Stephen Konechny, I would have never gotten that, but can you introduce oh, yourself yeah. and tell us how to pronounce it? Yeah, it's uh, like connecting the knee, Stephen Konechny. Uh, I am actually a brand new author. This is the first book that I'm having published. And, Yay, it's uh, your baby! Yeah, uh, I don't know what else to say. Like, that's... I'm, I, I bet with your last order, name, right? you have all kinds of fun with your drill sergeants at boot camp. Oh, my gosh. Well, they didn't actually talk to me um, all that much. I, I was one of those guys that was like, I'm just going to fly under the radar and not get noticed by anybody. Like, I, I was in the Marine Corps, and so, like, I got IT twice. You weren't very tall, were you? <laughs> I'm six two and a half, so I was the third biggest guy in my platoon. Wow. See, I was just, the tallest female, so no matter what, they noticed me. Yeah, I, uh, I hid behind some of the bigger guys who were uh, – Klutzes, let's just go with that. <laughs> we had, I just figured with a name was, like yours. We had a dude that was six foot five and he was a high school wide receiver. He was six five Ooh. and two ten. He was massive. No one noticed me at six three. It was awesome. <laughs> no, 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 no. Mine yeah. were obsessed with singular bars. We had to stand in order of height. Ooh. That's just and, how you uh, have a proper formation, though. Yeah, well, when you're the only female surrounded by guys, males in basic training, and you're supposed to be in this like one female, one uh, like two females, or yeah, it was just like weird. They'd be like, "Where? Why are you here?" I was, I was short when I started. I didn't meet a female until a year after I got out of boot camp. <laughs> that was <probably> <laughs> I had so I, much about the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he went there. But uh, I was I got to boot camp at five six, but I gained three inches in height when before I was over. So uh, I I don't know that I could blend in. It just wasn't possible. I spent too much time at CIF getting uniform reissue <laughs> as I hit that growth spurt. Yeah, I was also in the Marine Corps. Yeah, did in the Marine Corps they have what's called uh, house mices and house mooses. The house mices are the smallest people that like clean up underneath things that no one can get it to, and the house mooses are the ones that move all the big heavy things for the drill or like the drill structures when we're moving stuff. And I was one of those. So if that says anything, so I that's gained... so much nicer than mine. They just called me Muffin Top Number Three. Apparently there were two words. <laughs> Yeah. I lost I, I, so much weight. I went from an extra large men's to a small. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yes. I, gained, I lost 35 pounds in boot camp. I don't know how much weight I lost, but I lost, I gained three inches in height and lost so much weight that my parents didn't recognize me at boot camp graduation. They just looked for white guys with glasses in the right squad. Are you sure they didn't <laughs> recognize you or they were just hoping that they couldn't? I, Maybe yeah, a little bit of column A, a little column B. 
So the next <laughs> part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we first found them. So I'll do the easy one first. I found Steven through Jeremy, and I found Jeremy through the Galaxy's Edge uh, community where he is very involved. And uh, that's, I don't know why you're laughing, Doc. Because you just called Steven easy, and it's funny because he's a Marine. Fair, but I mean, we don't judge them hey. for that. This is a judgment-free zone. No, it isn't. So, <laughs> no, it isn't. Okay, it's not. It's not for Jeremy, but but the the blasters. Are, well, Jr. is judgment-free. It's all about the Zen, man. It's all about. The That's zen. because he knows where he stands in it, and he can't judge anybody else. You can't judge exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've been oh, around stuck. this for way too many years, bro. Wow, <laughs> she went there. When we met in uh-huh. person, she did. She leaned like she's not that much taller than me, but she leaned over I, at the waist like she was talking to a two-year-old. And she's like, "How's the weather down there?" Short stuff. I'm like, "Oh, Dang. it was it was brutal. It was brutal." In my defense, I was accurate. <laughs> that doesn't help you, Doc. <laughs> All right. So I found Jeremy through the Galaxy's Edge uh, community. How did you meet these two fine gentlemen, Doc? Well, I met Jeremy through you because, well, you like to bring your friends on here so that they know that you actually do talk to females. (laughs) 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 Do you feel at home yet, Jeremy? I've always felt at home with you guys. You guys are a crazy bunch. (laughs) But we're all well-meaning. Didn't we love each other like a dysfunctional family? It's even in our intro. So my, my therapists say it's better if I just think they're laughing with me and not at me. So that's what I tell myself every day. That is oh. true. One of these days, you're going to have to turn your camera on, though. I broke yeah. the last three. It is, it's you broke the last three. <laughs> All right, Doc, Doc you, you get to ask your favorite question. I like it. I dig it. I'm down. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's how the medics easier. roll. It makes less dishes this way. That, I mean, that's just how the medics roll, too. Like, I know and if it's I want to food. Oh, it's classy to do it. Oh, well, you know, it's wine. <laughs> well, as long as it's not whiskey, I guess we're good. <laughs> I have right, Doc. She's going to break it out if you ask her to. She'll chug gas in the bottle, too. I just got a brand new bottle today. Uh, what what nice. brand is it? We should really get these alcohol companies to sponsor us. Should. Oh, she's going to get it, too. <laughs> I knew it. All right, so. Uh, I got Westward Single Malt Whiskey. Any good? I've never tried that one. I haven't tried it yet. I try to leave the hard liquor for the weekends when I have to deal with you. <laughs> so uh, while we're, we're pausing for her to get the religion question up, dear listeners, when you comment on this, when we post it in the uh, the Facebook group, tell us what your favorite beverage of choice is. We can start a dialogue. All right, Doc, we got to see if they get to stay. So you got to ask them the religion question. They get to stay because they laugh at my jokes. <laughs> Priorities, um, I can dig it. So religion, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly, Jeremy? Don't we didn't ask choose. you these the first time. I used a different set. I checked. Don't, don't make me choose. That's not fair because I like all of them. I mean, you know, you got Star Wars, okay? And that's, that's you can just say cute. you're polytheistic or that you're well, a slut and can't yeah, decide. I mean, I say. Makes sense, or I'm a pagan. I don't know. I mean, Star Wars is iconic. You know, you got uh, space wizards and laser swords. Star Trek, you know, where no man has gone before, banging green chicks or whatever. And then uh, you know, you got Firefly, which is obviously the best one, but it's was too short to ever really truly be iconic. Don't tell that to the brown coats. They can they never take the sky from me. They got a deal. So, a... How about All you, right. Stephen? Uh, my uh, first question is, where's Stargate on this? Um, but uh, if, I, answer. if I had to choose one, it's so hard. 
I, I would have to say, oh my gosh, I can't even. I, I would have to say Star Trek probably is the best one. Okay. Uh, it's just, it's, well, you said Stargate, and we'll allow that. But which? Okay. Stargate? Well, then we'll go with uh, Stargate SG One. Obviously, it's the best one. Come on. <laughs> is there about, any other you, question? Yes. How did you feel about Universe in Atlantis? Uh, Stargate Universe was just trash. And uh, I like oh God, Where's the Atlantis? mute button? Let's kick this guy off the show. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Who can stay? No, Stargate, uh, Stargate Atlantis was good. I like Jason Momoa. Um, I think the guy who played uh, Major Shepard or Colonel Shepard was was pretty good. Um, but uh, yeah, you can't beat Richard Dean Anderson and uh, the whole. And SG all the MacGyver group. jokes. Yeah. Uh, I, I personally, Amanda Tapping is one of my top three favorite sci fi female characters on the media. Yeah, she. Like, I mean, we're talking a little different list. Yeah, I mean, in the '90s too, especially like she like blew it out of the park. Like that was she's amazing, and you can't beat Christopher Judge Steele. They just you can't. No, no. You, 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 you can't. can't. And he was such a sweet night guy. <laughs> so what yeah. I didn't get with the Colonel Shepard on the our major, what depending on where in the series you are, is he was the too much of a jack of everything. Like, oh, he flies helicopters. No, oh, by the way, he also flies jets. Like the odds of that in the military, I mean, you, once you sort of commit to one of those lanes, you pretty much stay there. Yeah, and then they're trying to also make him out to be like a special forces guy on top of that, and I was just like, eh, I don't know. But he was he funny. was Mary Sue. A little and he bit. had the hair. He was funny, and he had the hair. So the hair was very good hair. Yeah, out of rags right. for sure. Uh, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I went All back right. and was watching. It's Atlantis with my son, and I kept twitching because of how far out of rig as it is. I'm like, there's flyboy hair, and then there is that, and that is way beyond it. Way beyond. Are we just talking about this today, Steve? And, uh, yeah. And can, <laughs> can somebody tell those airmen to get their hands out of their god dang pockets? Seriously. I mean, I used to do it. I had, oh my gosh, okay, so uh, I was at Bridgeport for training, and there was a blizzard. We were like, there in the middle of May. And there was a blizzard. Obviously, I was, as a as an intel guy, I was I rolled around with a sniper platoon that was attached to our shop. And uh, one of the snipers, he was walking around with his hands in his pockets. And some guy, no one liked him. He's from Echo Company, and he was like, "Hey, Marine, get your hands out of your pockets." Now, mind you, he's a corporal. My uh, my sniper buddy is a sergeant. And he just goes, "F you, man!" And he goes, "I'm a corporal." And we just like walk by him, and he's like, didn't even say anything. It was a good time. <laughs> Hands in pockets, though, the whole way. That's awesome. You rebel, you. Yeah. Okay, so on to fantasy, because we love fantasy here. Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or Wheel of Time? Now, you Definitely. can pick from the books if you want. I, definitely I, not Wheel of Time in any capacity. <laughs> that That entire thing, I never cared for that. I would definitely go for Lord of the Rings, for sure. I think Wheel of Time is definitely a um, a unique taste set. Yeah. yeah, I've I've read the first four Game of Thrones books. I've read the first five or six of the Wheel of Time books, and I just got done listening to the audiobooks for Lord of the Rings just recently. Um, obviously, Lord of the Rings is the best one by far. Like, oh yeah, Tolkien, genius. But uh, and Wheel of Time, like you definitely have to have like the desire to know every little detail about everything because that's how Robert Jordan is. Yes, and then they found the perfect person to take after him, who definitely does. <laughs> Brandon Sanderson is definitely in that same wheelhouse. Oh, I know. Yeah. So, but he made forty-two million dollars on Kickstarter. That dude's a genius. 
Jeremy's so like, he's what? so mad. Jeremy's so mad about that. <laughs> it's like I could use a tenth of that. Just a tip. But you know what? He, is really, he turned around and he was so impressed with how everything went. And he started backing other publishing Kickstarters and giving oh, them, awesome. giving them, um, like he was telling people what he was backing, why he was backing it. And it was hey, Jeremy, really Let's awesome. just reach out to Brian Samson and see if he can uh, give us some money. <laughs> he seems to be a stand up dude. Like, I, I, having talked to people who know him in person or have encountered him, he doesn't have that diva complex they get when they get to that stage in their careers. And he is very tall. You wouldn't think so. We'll so fit it right in with shooting... it. Yeah, not me. I have a picture <laughs> of me next to him in four inch heels, and he's still taller than I am. Dang. Now I hate him. I hate you, tall people. It's okay, JR. Somebody has to pick up the dust. <laughs> Don't Ouch. blame us. Blame your parents. Yeah. Blame <laughs> <Maybe> your dad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doc, move this move this along before I start crying. It's going to get up. <laughs> so which was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Now, Jeremy, you answered this on the last interview, these questions. So you're going to sit this one out, and they can go listen to that episode. Dang it, it was a great interview. Did you just put baby in a corner? He did. Yes, I put baby in a corner. Nobody put <laughs> baby in a corner, right? <laughs> uh, okay, so I'll, uh, I'll answer then. Uh I, I think that fantasy has probably been my first love, uh, even though uh, I grew up watching Star Wars uh, New Hope uh, just over and over and over and over and over again. But that's uh, space it, fantasy. When it comes to reading, though, I, I think it's definitely fantasy. Um, like anything like Dungeons and Dragons, uh, anything like Forgotten Realms, uh, that was my first love. And then just like just following right along with that, I think sci-fi just is a, just, a, just a little another branch on that path. And so, yeah, it's just fantasy is the thing for me anyway. Um, but sci-fi is a very, very, very close second. So, well, they are very closely related. So yeah. JR likes to separate them, but that's because he can be a bit OCD and doesn't want his sci-fi always to touch his fantasy, to touch his apocalyptic or his peas and carrots. So um, just put all three in this or all of those in the same book and I'll be good. Except the peas and carrots. That that could, no, that that is the well, work of yeah. the devil. <laughs> My wife would disagree, but I don't like them. <laughs> so, um, what is your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Was it reading? You know, obsessing over New Hope. You know, everybody's oh, over Disney movie. That's a uh, that's a very far reaching question. Um, <laughs> uh, I wish like. I, after I got out of the Marine Corps, I started saving all the books that I bought and read. Um, but in my early years, I didn't save anything. Um, and so I, I think, um, yeah, I thought that meant like in my writing process, uh, I, I would say probably, uh, with Star Wars. Yeah. That was probably, um, like growing up, my brother and I would just like play Star Wars out in the yard and pick up sticks and have lightsaber battles and, um, that was like the first like engagement with that. Uh, yeah. What is it that you love about the overarching umbrella of speculative fiction, whether it be sci-fi or fantasy? I just love like, and this is like one of the things that um, I'm trying to write right now. It's just like everything is just fantastic and or strange at the same time. And so like, <laughs> it's basically like you getting to explore 
into a new world or like past that frontier, um, like past that final frontier of growing Star Trek um, and just kind of like push the boundaries of like what is like unnatural, but still kind of in that realm of like, hey, this is believable at the same time. And so like just being able to do that and just be a part of everything involved, like Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, Lord of the Rings, all these different authors and, and books and TV shows and video games, like, um, like I love like playing like the Elder Scrolls games and all of those, um, just because it's like you get to like basically be a part of the story, and being a part of the story is uh, like what I want to like. That's why like I got in writing, it's like because I wanted to be part of the story, and so just being able to like push those boundaries and also at the same time like tell an awesome story in the process, like it just you can't really beat it. <laughs> <laughs> so um for those who are just listening uh jr's putting his favorite quote across the screen he used to be an adventurer until he took an arrow to the knee so it's because he mentioned elder scrolls that's why Indeed. so Indeed. um <laughs> I, I started with morrowind not not elder scrolls. well I, I started with morrowind too but uh skyrim's i mean obviously i played oblivion obviously. a lot when i was deployed to afghanistan uh, on the PC, but uh, yeah, Skyrim's good. I played Frogger for real life, but instead of frogs getting run over, is us getting blown up. So, but we dodged the ID. So, like, I'm totally qualified. That's to just anything. the best game ever. It was an explosive good time. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I derailed her. I broke her brain. All right, Doc. <laughs> we're about to ask question nine to Steven. Okay, I know we we just did the what it was your what you love yeah, about it. Question ten. Run <laughs> ten. So how did this love translate into you writing in this space in this creative space? Uh, yeah. So I uh, when I was nineteen and uh, a young PFC living in Iraq for my first deployment. I was on the night shift and I didn't sleep at all because it was 120 degrees outside and who sleeps in 120 degrees. Um, and so I wanted to try my hand at writing. I was told in high school that I had a pretty good mind for creative writing, which was the only thing I got A's on. Uh, and so I just took a stab at it and I decided to, I, just, like, I mean, I was young, it was bad. It was, it was like 210 pages of just like this guy who I had no idea what I was doing and tried to do like military sci-fi stuff. And it was just all bad. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to like, okay, I can make my mark now. And like, if you fast forward like 12 years or how long ago is that? 13 years now. So 13 years later, um, I was reading through actually the dark operator series uh that john spears wrote which is amazing through the, for galaxy's edge and i was reading through the last one angles of attack and i was like hey i can do this like i can i can tell a story just like these guys are telling stories and so uh i was just like okay i need to take a stab at this and actually be serious about it this time around because i've always kind of just like dabbled in like creative writing here and there and so um and then with uh with the book where we're going to talk about um just like yeah, just making my mark. Not really my mark, but like being able to tell a story. Like I'm DMing a, a Dungeons and Dragons game. Like that's that's I'm a storyteller, and that's what I want to do. 
When would you, do you have like a, a concrete memory of when you realized you like to tell stories? Not when you sat down and put pen to paper for the first novel, that generally comes later, but but when you started like, obviously I, I like tell these stories, that's fun. Yeah, I I was, um, I was in, when I played D&D in high school, uh, 3.5, it was just like, I was like, hey, let me try DMing because I, I think I can do this. And this is a really, like, I enjoy like being able, not, there's a lot of control involved in it, but like being able to like describe things that are going on and like all the battle sequences and like how you kill goblins in different ways. I think that was probably like, I was like 15, 16, 17 years old, probably when that happened. You know, a lot of great authors have really come out of um, the gaming circuit. Like uh, David Weber did it. Some other people, um, James Ward, I think is doing some of that too, but it's, it's yep. really honestly very cool. It's why Bane does a, uh, a new author award actually at Gen Con every year. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's cool. I know lots of weird things. You know lots of weird things because you're weird, but it's okay. We like you anyway. So, I am classy. Many authors let their wine. own out of the bottle. <laughs> many authors. Now, all we need to get you That's a brown paper bag so you can wrap it around the bottle and then we'll be high class. But uh, many. <laughs> no, I'm not ashamed of what I'm drinking. <laughs> Okay, that's good to know. Uh, we'll tell your therapist. So many authors have their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So uh, Stephen, were there any specific formidable moments that you think shaped you as a storyteller? Uh, yeah, I think uh, like I, I went through, I would say my life was rough. Um, it's, I mean, most Americans lives are rough nowadays, but uh, I had some like moments like my family split and uh, when I was getting out or getting into high school, and so that kind of just like put me on this path where it's like, okay, I need to be like, learn how to like grow up and mature really quickly. Um, I think joining the Marine Corps definitely was one of those moments that like shaped my ability to tell stories uh, because then it's not about me anymore. It's about like the guys around me and like learning about them and knowing, like getting to know how other people think and react to different situations. Um, and then just the last 10 years um, or so, just going like living life and just being involved with different things. Like I'm, I was pretty, I'm pretty involved with the church that I was going to before I moved. And um, like all of the, everything that you do in life, right. It just, everything is a catalyst for what we like experience. And so being able to pull from all of those different things, actually, like there's nothing that's off limits. I feel like, um, but like those kind of like two or three moments, like really kind of shaped um, the darker side of things, uh, if you will. Um, I think it's one of the things Jeremy and I talk about a lot is he's like, especially when I first started, he was just like, or I, I was, I would always tell him like, Hey man, like your writing is so much, so good. Like you have so much experience to draw from. I feel like it's, it's not dark all the time, but like, it's really good. He's like, you have the same thing. It's just different. And so I was like, Oh man, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Like Jeremy's brilliant. Everyone. Hello. If you don't know, Jeremy's brilliant. He's a genius. So uh, humble, so humble. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think yeah, everything we do, anybody can write um, whatever they want. It's just a matter of whether or not they can tell the story, and you know. So so the long uh, the translation of that rather long answer would be yeah. basically you're saying that you're a sum you're a sum of the the parts. So the the whole is what makes it, not the individual spokes. Sure, I, I can dig that. Yeah. All right. Summary. So speak. So speaking of military science fiction, see, I was paying attention, Doc. Uh, Jeremy, your bio mentions that you served in the U.S. Army. So we ask all veterans who this question, who uh, wore the uniform, do you feel like your time in the Army shaped the stories you tell? 
Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, the, the biggest takeaway I had from my uh, military experience is that, uh, you know, now I'm afraid of fireworks. My wife fucked 10 guys. So, um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Jody got your girl. My, yeah, it's a, it's a <laughs> the, they both assumed that you're talking about the girl, not the fireworks. Um, no, uh, matter of fact, uh, a lot of my, a lot of my, um, science fiction is based on battles that I was part of or read about or talked to other soldiers about a lot of guys, uh, you know, a lot of guys served in a lot of different places over there. And so that's kind of what I take away from everything is that I just pull from my experience with that. And then using that experience, I just kind of make it up as I go along. It turns into kind of a fun ride, but uh, also a little stressful to try and remember some of that stuff and some of the people who passed, you know how that is. <clears throat> so, and Stephen, uh, as the great crayon eater among us, uh, how do you feel like, I'm going to get that word right and say it right eventually, Doc. It'll happen. How do you feel like your time as a U.S. Marine affects the stories you tell? Yeah, um, I I don't think, um, the, obviously, this first book, I don't think there's a lot of that in there because it's kind of just all out, like it's all out there. It has nothing, like I was, a, I was a deployed to combat twice, but never actually in a firefight. And so... Uh, I sat behind a desk a lot and told people where to go and who to blow up and kill. Um, and so I think eventually, like, it'll get to that point. But uh, from the analytical side of things, um, I think Jeremy can tell you, like, that's very much how I think. And uh, I that was very much a part of my military training and background. And so I would say that, yeah, it, it does affect it's the the thinking part of things is uh, definitely <coughs> showing a lot more. I think you sell yourself short. I, I think people that have to be at the other end of the of the intelligence side, like it's not the same as trading lead. But I mean, I'm not. You'd be a fool if you said it didn't affect you. Uh, I think it has to. I mean, you're making some some pretty um, heavy decisions, so I, I think you sell yourself short in that respect. Because you had agree. to look at some horrific things that I never had to see because we just shot and moved on. I didn't have to look at things afterwards. That's what we had yeah. NPs for to clean up our track. Yeah, I may have misunderstood the question. <laughs> no, no, you were you you answered it, and that's fine. I'm just saying. No, but how you view it is important too. So, Jair's just saying don't 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 put yourself, yourself in a corner. Okay. All right. So on oh, a on a myself. hopefully a happier note, Jeremy, do you ever draw on people you uh, you knew when you were in the military? The good, the bad, oh, and the yeah. ugly. Oh yeah, all the time. All the time. Do any do any of them know that they are part of your books, or is this like, no, I hated that mofo, and I'm not talking, I'm not telling him that this guy is him. I'm gonna go ahead and plead the fifth on the second part. I'm just kidding. No. no, for real though. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people that I knew in the military in my books. Um, good, bad, and ugly, as you said. Uh, there's a lot of folks that. Um, that know and don't know that they're part of my uh, my crew of miscreants, as it were. Um, and then, you know, there's there's other people that are living, breathing, normal people that have appeared in my books. Uh, like my main one of my main characters in my main series, uh, Ashes of Eternity. Uh, the character I've out of Noku is based on my buddy Reese. We've been friends for years. It's 22. So we've been friends for like 24, 23 years, some crap like that. And for just a minute or generation. Yeah, but you know that. Uh, so that yeah. kind of thing, you know, it's everything's based on different things like that. But yeah, there's uh, there's some red shirts that were some 
unpleasant characters. <laughs> and, and we'll ask you the same question, Steven. So did you ever draw from people you knew when you were when you were playing with the Marines? Um, in the in this book, no. In the in the moving forward, yeah, I have uh, the manuscript I actually just finished today. Um, I've got a couple guys in there that um, the names are a variation of their names, like the naming convention is different. But yeah, there's a little bit of draw there. All right, so we've talked a little bit about how your time in the service affects stories as you tell them. So now let's talk about how they affect how you engage with content as both a reader, a viewer, a consumer of the things. So Jeremy, do you feel like your time in the Army affects the way you engage with content? Absolutely. Would you like to elaborate? Or are you going to go all uh, Sorry. <laughs> Bro, I, I, can't help, I can't help messing with you. I just can't. I like No matter what I try, I just can't help messing with you. Yeah, so okay. one of the one of the biggest things that I found that really uh, really affects it is like you know we were talking about in the pre-show a little bit. Um, Stephen and I were talking this morning because I was watching, uh, I was writing, and I was watching a music video, uh, Five Finger Death Punch, Gone Away. Great song, great rendition. Yeah, the video is so annoying to try and watch, uh, and this is just an example, obviously, but. Um, you know, the, the, the video is this guy and, you know, he, he all of his buddies get blown up in this Humvee and it's like, yeah, that's really sad. That does happen. But no, you didn't all enlist together, join the same unit and end up in the same Humvee. It just does not happen for one. Another thing, the dude's got hair down to here. He's got stubble like I do right now. And we're, I'm like, bro, come on. Like, that's one thing that is uh, a big deal to me, especially a lot lately. Uh, there's a lot of uh, engagement, it seems like, with the uh, civilian world, as it were and military science fiction and people are like well this and you guys touched on this earlier well this isn't this isn't real this isn't you know special forces you know not every person in space is going to be a special forces operator there's some people are just going to be people some people are going to be the average supply clerk you know there's uh there's all kinds of things like that and that's what really has been getting to me lately is to see that and then you know people are like well this book didn't have that element i don't like it there's plenty of books like that. Go read those. Like, you know, that's, that's not, this isn't, re this isn't the reality you claim. And then, you know, you got reviewers and then they're sitting there going, well, this book is unrealistic. Like, oh yeah, no, it's set 6,000 years in the future. And it's about genetic super soldiers. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's completely realistic. Like why would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, so I think it's also important to realize, you know, you don't have to be that crazy gung ho muscle bound nerd to be in the military because i think we do set up this myth for people that they have to be that way in order to go into the military yeah i would agree because I've, I've talked to a lot of kids when i when i went back to college on my gi bill i talked to a lot of kids who thought you had to be that way because they'd read this or that book and i'm like you do realize hey that's what basic training is for <laughs> like, basic yep. training will make you what they want you to be no Nick and Jason hit it right on the head in their Galaxy's Edge books. The 1% of the 1%. That's literally it for us. I mean, like if, if you're if you're high speed enough to be that way, you're going to be that person. If you're not, you're just not. Like there's Intel analysts, there's truck yeah. drivers, there's doctors, well, and like, there's, there's other people. You know, that's just it's just how it is. But, yeah, what and what we were talking about before the show, the second largest MOS in the army isn't even a combat MOS. Yeah. So you would so, think that you think that that would get a little bit more uh, attention, but it doesn't. So, so first, <laughs> I would say that there's a concept in military logistics. So um, 
there's wait, there's concepts. In the expression of uh, you know real group? soldiers don't talk uh, strategy; they talk logistics. Um, I'm butchering the quote, so you know if you get it right, you can put it in the comments and tell me I messed up. My memory is flawed. But uh, so that goes to the this concept of the tooth to tail ratio. So for every one grunt in the field with a rifle doing the bang bang on the trigger, you've got even as late as the Iraq war as I served in it in early aughts, there was still 10 to one. So for every one person in the field fighting, you had 10 in the rear doing whatever to keep them forward deployed. And so people kind of forget about that. Although I will push back against the truck driver thing as a convoy escort in Iraq, as a grunt, I worked mostly with trans guys transportation guys so we can you know it's the modern age uh and i watched people like infantrymen like myself brothers of the blue cord get combat infantry badges for checking rifles at the defac while these truck drivers were getting blown up dodging ieds down route irish and so like there are certain mos's that i, I think technically they're non-combat but they saw as much crap as the rest of us well and i, and think, I think truck drivers in the last war were one of them I think how modern combat goes, you know, the front lines aren't what they were. Symmetrical warfare is what they call it. Yeah. So I, when I was in yeah. Corporal's course, there was a um, there was a female there, a female Marine who had a combat action ribbon, and she was the only person in, in the course that did. And so it's and she wasn't a combat MOS. She was a I forget what she was like a cook or she just volunteered for you know, to be on a gun and they just happened to get shot at when she's out on a convoy. And the first time or the 50th time, it sucks every time when you're yeah. getting shot at, by the way. So we'll ask you the well, same question. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe you almost like, like the adrenaline. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't like the adrenaline. I'm just saying that the getting shot at part sucks. But that's the whole reason you join the military. No, it's for college money. To go and no, no. My recruiter told me in 1998 that the National Guard would only get deployed after the Women's Auxiliary, but before the Boy Scouts. I was supposed to be safe. What are you talking about? <laughs> CNN would never lie to me, right? You, you don't. You don't besmirch the great and mighty CNN. You know, uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me that a National Guard recruiter told you that. Being that I spent time in the Guard, so I, I, I get it. <laughs> Well, it was also 99. Don't, it was like the, the post. Don't the trust your recruiter. Ever. I should I should have known that Mogadishu and, and the first Gulf War were in, you know, in the recent memory that they were wrong, but it sounded good and I wanted college money. But if you, know. if you are a young person <laughs> listening to this show, please, dear God, the one thing I ask that you take out of isn't even to review the books, which you should do. But to always get it in writing and never believe it until it's in writing and signed. Yeah, that's, that's true. I, there's a couple guys that I worked with high school students a couple years ago, and there's a couple guys that were like, I want to join the Marines. I was like, okay, if you want me to, I'll go to the recruiter's office with you and tell you all the lies he's telling you. <laughs> so, you um, yeah. <laughs> oh, so, no, 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 no. Okay. Do we have time for a funny story about my I friend mean, from the Army who was a recruiter? All right, we're going to the Army Hour, so why not? Let's do this. So I joined the TRMN, which is like the David Weber Fandom Society. And so I was at a con, and I thought it would be funny to post on Facebook. I joined the Navy. <laughs> and I, I was actually sitting next to a friend who was, who is an Army a Navy recruiter now. I had a friend who was an Army recruiter then. He starts messaging me. And I start going, yeah, they told me this. And I'm answering it as if this, well, like, this is real. Like, 
And I'm like, yeah, no, the defect, they told me I get this allowance of, of rum and da, da, da. like, I'm just answering crazy things. And my friend messages me and he goes, okay, what did they tell you? Because there are some lies that they can be brought up on charges for using. <laughs> <laughs> I finally, he was freaking out so bad. I finally told, told him I joined the TRMN and there I'm like, they told me I can take my son with me. <laughs> Oh, oh that's no. funny. That's great. <laughs> People were freaking out. At that point, one of my friends goes, You're at a con. You joined some fandom group. I know this. This has got to be it. <laughs> All right. So oh, no. that was a <laughs> so funny segue. Some lies can be illegal. <laughs> what a funk. Well, I mean, I, we've talked about it in other episodes, but I, I didn't have to get even with my drill sergeant. I mean, my, my drill sergeant, my recruiter, because he did it to himself and he went to jail. So uh, I'll tell you that story offline. We've told it on the show before, so I don't want to bore people. But we asked Jeremy, so now we get to ask you, Stephen. How do you feel like your time in the U.S. Marine Corps affects the way you engage with content as a consumer of the things? Yeah, I can't watch a movie or a TV show without pointing out the inaccuracies on military uniforms now. Uh, it just, I'm, I'm that guy. Um, and so, uh, I think it, when it comes to like books, um, I, so you haven't have watched a, the new Top Gun preview then have you, I have not, not the new one. Um, but, uh, when it comes to books, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm listening through a, um, audio book series that I just got, I was given through for free. Um, and i told Jeremy this, like the guy was like, oh yeah, the Marine Corps, was made in 19 July 10th 1984 or 1989 or 1789 I was like oh my gosh this guy is just so wrong I can't even like imagine and so I I have a very short um I guess uh span of patience uh for guys who try to like promote military stuff if there's inaccuracies like I just won't give it a second look and so um it can be kind of disheartening at times because it's like I want to really like this but because it's not accurate i can't and so it's out and on that in that way i would say the marine corps ruined me I, i'm the same way with history stuff and so i got the military and the history that i nitpick and it just bugs me you yeah. got to get it right people google is a thing you can find anything your heart desires if you look hard enough that's true you know when i was first starting out on my writing journey um karen travis a very legendary author told me point blank she said you can screw up everything in your book and it doesn't matter do your research. That is the most important thing. And I have followed that to a T. I have spent more time researching than I have writing. <laughs> I, I had to research plasma cannons recently, and all I can think of is I want one. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, like, who doesn't want one? Those are awesome. I want to disrupt right? I'm like, too, Second Amendment totally covers that, right? Yeah, yeah. Totally. We're good. Totally. All right. So normally uh we would pause right now and intro a commercial but we're going to put you on the spot jeremy so you're going to get to give us the uh commercial rendition for for selling people on uh ashes of eternity can you do oh, it or should we intro this is going to be good in a galaxy far no <laughs> <laughs> far far away but... yeah i can't even i can't even do that in jest so okay ashes of eternity well, let's see let's go with the elevator pitch so it's uh Ashes of Eternity is if you were to combine the original version of Starship Troopers with the modern version of Deadpool. That's what you're going to get. So you've got a, you've got a group of uh, highly advanced soldiers that are 
genetically modified, genetically engineered, and highly sarcastic that like to blow things up and kill people. That's uh, their entire purpose in life is to destroy everything as fast as they can, as often as they can. They strive on that. So um, kind of dives uh, into a little bit more fantasy and dives a little bit more into, uh, you know, more, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like real world issues, you know, uh, we touch on uh, the situation that we face with our veterans, um, things like that. And so, you know, now it's going to move uh, with the newer books. It's going to move towards the uh, other side, like the fantasy side, the more uh, space opera type deal. Um, we're going to get a lot of that going here. Um, and then we got uh, a second series of Ashes of Eternity, which is the novellas. Stephen and I are both working on those. Um, and those tell the greater story. They tell everything from the moment the war starts all the way up to meeting up into the fourth and fifth books. So there's uh, there's a lot going on with that. It's going to be a lot so of fun. Note to self, don't put the authors on the spot to do the commercials like this. It worked with Malt and Mike Lafferty, but they also have known each other for like 25 years. Uh, so apparently I, that's just not nice. Don't let me do that again. Thanks, but, jerk. Uh, <laughs> I know. Just blame Grandpa Walt because he set the standard so high. Right, right. It's all Walt's fault. And you should call him Grandpa Walt when you talk to him, just to see what which, which Walt. Did which you see Robillard? Yeah. Robillard, yeah. Yeah. Did you yeah. see him today at the the Rhode Island State Senate with the glasses on and the and the shirt and tie? He looked sharp. Yeah, it was very professorial. I yeah. wasn't quite sure what to make of it. I didn't but, recognize Grandpa. That was awesome. I, I was too. I, I mean, he strung senses together. I didn't know he had it in him. Yeah. But uh, he did want me to tell you, dear listener, uh, and Walt, if you're listening, I'll pass this message on for you. Leg lives matter. All right. Now that we've got that out of the way, Doc, no, you ask the fandom questions. <laughs> no, they um, don't. Have you had any cool fan art or a cosplay of one of your characters yet? No, that's the easy answer for me. No. No. And yes. So I, I've had some pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, I, I've I've had some pretty cool fan art, but uh, we haven't had any uh, cosplays yet. I don't think you can really easily cosplay an eight foot tall superhero. Soldier. Really? Because they cosplay Space Marines at Dragon Con. All right, so that's a challenge. Apparently, his readers need to step up to the to the plate and, and swing it out of the park. In yeah, fairness, my readers are mostly either retired or current military. Those people don't have money for those sorts of things. That's true. Fair. fair. <laughs> You know, if I start seeing, uh, you know, cosplays of my characters at an anime convention, I'm going to worry just a hair because we all know what goes on with those. Not that I don't like anime, <laughs> but it gets well, you know, Dragon Con has a literary themed um, cosplay competition. You never know. That reminds me of that Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode. What? That reminds me of that Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode. I didn't watch it. Oh, never mind. We'll have to talk about that off air because we want to ask the, the more of the fandom questions. Doc gets all giddy when we let her ask these. I do, but it does help that by now I've had normally some wine. Oh, uh, so <laughs> has anyone ever asked for your autograph in public? Yes, on uh, several occasions, actually. And what was that like the first time? Or the, the very first time, time? It was very alarming. I was like, who are you and what do you want? Like, what are we doing here? Oh, I just, I would like, to, I'd like to get your autograph. I've got a copy of your book. As a matter of fact, it was uh, at a con at the convention there in Vegas uh, last November. And um, 
somebody came up and they had a copy of uh, Shockwave in their hands. And they're like, I would love it if you'd sign my book. I'm like, I have no idea who you are, but I'd be happy to do it. <laughs> That's like, even better because you know they're not doing it out of a sense of kindness. Yeah, exactly. It was just like, whoa, this is cool. I like it. I dig it. But yeah, that was definitely, a, it was a unique experience for me, for sure. <clears throat> I've uh, I've had my my parents or my in-laws wanted me to sign the book, and then I've had some friends that bought it that have asked me to sign it, but no one like that I don't know. So still counts. Know that counts. Hey, that still counts. It's still fun. I think it still counts. I mean, at least so three times that three times I've signed a book. At least you <laughs> know that. Well, uh, even if they didn't read it, you still made money off of them. Go go you! You made money off your in-laws. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, they're supporting they're supporting me as a small business owner. I feel like that's what they're doing. <laughs> no, but that's awesome. That's important. So have you spotted anyone reading one of your books out in the wild? Yes. No. <laughs> okay. I have no Steven books. Just... This is one book. I know to all these questions. <laughs> Steven is a baby author, but he will get there. And when you do, uh cosplay his characters or you know do the thing take pictures and send it to him on his newsletter so he feels happy they will you, you know too. i think that you i think that in the future ground. we're working on some things that i think are going to be right up people's alley for cosplay so that may be a thing just remember you too can keep him well supplied in crown so he never goes hungry again that's true you know they make organic ones now if you ever need to worry about that i My really hope Bill you're Frisbee's getting back no, no, they also make um No, I'm diet not. Crowns. Uh Bill Frisbee was telling me that they make some diet crowns as well. So and he's like the king crown eater. <laughs> not even kidding. I don't so know. Big. Come on. No, Bill's not that bad. <laughs> we'll talk offline. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> all, all right, Doc, save me from myself. Ask the next question. I've been trying to do that for years at this point. So can you give us your funniest fan interaction. Funniest or most inappropriate? <laughs> Whatever is not going to get us blacklisted when we air this episode. I did actually have a stalker at one point last year. Oh, dear. Yeah, that was uh, it was a young woman who found out that I lived close by her, and she decided she was going to actually start stalking me. And uh, it got interesting real quick. Cops got involved, all kinds of uh, your poor wife. Of but uh, funniest fan interaction would have to be, uh, or seeing some actually pans into your other question, seeing someone reading your book out in the wild. So I actually uh, walked into a local coffee shop here in Palmer and uh, saw this gentleman sitting at the, at a table reading my book. And I just, uh, <clears throat> I just kind of glanced down and I was like, Hey, that looks like a neat book. And he says, yeah, I just got it off of the, uh, free bin at the bookstore and I was like oh that's depressing but um so he says yeah I, I really like it I I uh I saw that the author lives in Alaska I wish I could find him I'm like yeah that's crazy and I turned around and walked away <laughs> <laughs> so wow. that, was, that was my funniest and uh my first experience reading seeing someone reading out in the wild one of mine so Definitely, definitely an experience. <laughs> and if he hears this, he's gonna be like, "Oh, son of a mother! I I met him." Yeah. Uh, hopefully he's hopefully 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 he's got a sense of humor about it. Yeah, I would I would hope so. You know, if you Just lose your sense of humor about anything, for why you're like cool, two thumbs up, dude. By the way, can I have my copy to go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Doc. Stop giggling. Less wine. More talking. You got questions. I'm not giggling. You're giggling. Um, I was going to ask about the Reader's Digest version of their bodies of work. Well, we know for Stephen, this is his book, baby. Ashes of Eternity Mallow. That's it. <laughs> What's a Reader's Digest? It's like a list mm -hmm. of things you've compiled. It's like I've written this series, that series, you know, this anthology, that like mine would be. I have a short story in the Storming Area One in, in anthology from uh, Bayonet Publishing. See, I can remember it. Bayonet Publishing, you ever heard of that? Bayonet Books Publishing, yeah. He, he, the guy that runs that company is a little bit of a loser. You wouldn't like him. No, but his mom is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's uh, that's my that's my uh, imprint that I, I published the anthology under. I know who it is. I know who it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was just giving us oh. the look. I was like, oh crap! He didn't know I was joking. No, no I because I started talking uh, about your mom. Yeah, that so, was uh, that was the part that I was like, hmm. I um, like her almost as much as I like Mel. So Mel's, Mel's did good you lady. really not? Do you really not know what the Reader's Digest is? Come on, that's not that aging me. Please don't make me Google it. <laughs> Oh my goodness. All right, stick a fork in me. I'm done. I'm retiring. It's all good. It's over now. Where's that fat lady singing? Uh, all right. So um if you're if you're at if it's like a list of what you want or a list of what I've written, it's gonna be uh so far the Ashes of Eternity series. Um book one Shockwave, book two is Requiem of a Nightmare, book three is Night Stalkers, and book four is the storm, and it is presently in post-production. Um which means that I deleted the whole thing and I am writing it again. Um, then I've also <laughs> written a book called Child Soldier, and I am working on uh, I'm working on a couple of super secret projects with Mr. Steven here. Outstanding. And uh, so you've already covered your Steven, but uh, are you going to be able to tell us about the super secret projects, or is it too far out? Oh no, we can tell uh, you a little bit. We can give you because we, we can, can keep, keep a secret, little morsels. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, the one I finished today, no, I can't say anything about it. Okay. I mean, you could tease us like that. Fine. Be that way. I, I'm sorry. I just know that, NBA on that, that information. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So we, so we'll, we'll make this as a small announcement. So right now we're working with Archimedes publishing. Um, nice. Yeah. We're, we're really excited about that. We signed up with him. Um, uh, John and Jen are very good people, and we—I—I I, I met them at Vegas, and I just absolutely love those guys. So uh, we're working on a project with them. Uh, unfortunately, we are under NDA for that one, so we can't talk too much about it. Um, there's so gonna be some we do know that awesome, amazing things are coming. Yes, and people should subscribe to your newsletters so that you can give out information when the time is right. Yes, yeah, and you can find our newsletter at downstarproductions.us. That is the absolute go. home. <laughs> For us. See, <laughs> I don't want to do this thing. So John is part cyborg wolf, and um, it is unfair that he can be that energetic. Uh, God, right? Just, like, <laughs> hey, next, time, next time I'm in Southern California, I'm definitely hanging out with him. So Yeah, like, he's going to make you, he's going to spend five minutes talking to you about books, and he's like, all right, let's keep talking. Let's go to the gym. He's just that motivated. I'm, I'm let's do it. I'm, I'm down. Yeah. He, Let him I mean, know. Jonathan, if you listen to this, I'm down. Let's do it. Next time I'm in SoCal. <laughs> When I shoot for moto, I end up landing on dipshit, so I just don't try anymore. So <laughs> I ought to use that in a book someday. But uh, all well, right. 
Actually, hold on, Jr. I'm not. We're not quite done just yet. Oh, uh, so there is another project that uh, we just came up with today. Uh, it's we're in pre-production, and it's your guys' fault that we came up yep. with the name. The Your series. Fault. It is going to I'm be okay called. With that. I take a lot of blame. <laughs> it is going to be called the Duality of Death, and it's oh, that a, is awesome. It's going to be a, it is yeah. going to be a cyberpunk novel, and uh, or it's actually going to be series. That's going to be the the name of the series is the uh, Duality of Death, and uh, we should be breaking ground on that one here in the next couple weeks. I would say. Wait, what does that have to do with Jr? He's not that cool. Yo, that's well, why I named this episode. I'm giving him credit because he started the podcast. Come on, Doc. Yeah. Come on. Oh, wait, you're taking credit for my naming, Doc? That's just low. <laughs> I also, I, I should also mention that I have, uh, I'm working on a fantasy novel right now um, that Ooh. is going to come out probably. I mean, I don't know that in the next year or so. Um, I just got a lot on my plate. So, and be, working a full time job and trying to be a full time writer at the same time does not. And work keep out. up with Jeremy, who keeps kept giving you more work, huh? Yeah. And I'm also being a full time husband at the same time. It just doesn't really, it's a lot of time, no sleep. <laughs> all right. So, we're at the hour mark and we have to jump in. So, at this point, while all those other Ashes of Eternity books sound amazing, we're going to talk about Ashes of Eternity Malium. Malum? Malum. Malum. Okay. So, where did the premise for this particular story come from? So, uh, Jeremy asked me, we were playing Halo one day in last year and Jeremy's like, Hey, you want to write a book or write a book for me? I'm like, sure, let's do it. Where at? And he's like, I don't know. You've got a whole like 6,000 year period of time to write in. And, uh, I was like, okay, cool. Let me listen to the books a couple times. And so I listened to shockwave three times in the course of like two weeks. And then I read through Requiem of a Nightmare and then listened to, or I think I was like listening to, um, Night Stalker when I came up with the idea um but i wanted so uh in the in the book shockwave falson is named as like the felled home planet uh even though earth they came from earth but anyways it's like the, the core of their empire and so i i haven't fallen in love with the Feld. that's really bad but uh i wanted to write from their perspective about taking that planet uh, and so that's that's kind of where that got birthed from Okay, that sounds interesting. Before we dive any deeper, though, we need to look at this glorious cover so you can tell us where this artwork came from. And uh, I am pulling that up right now. So, ta-da. Hurry up, JR. It's there. Yeah. It was uh, just a uh, delay. I will tell you, I think I was actually at the lake water skiing with some friends when Jeremy sent that to me and I was like, Oh, this is freaking cool. <laughs> like, this is awesome. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Jeremy has a, um, a really good artist that does all of his covers and she's amazing. Uh, so I really love the that. idea. Like, yeah, that it's like, I started writing before I got the cover and that actually inspired me to write or to like, um, kind of give a, a picture of like the, the bad guys that they fight in that. So, can we just take a moment and pause to reflect on the point that he just mentioned? He was water skiing and checking his phone, and that's like mad impressive. So uh, that's well done. I had well, it wasn't at the same like, time, but uh, yeah, it was the first time I actually went water skiing, and I was up for like five minutes. And so I was like, hey, how do I get off this thing? And they're like, just yep. let go. But JR doesn't chew, walk and chew gum at the same time. So, <laughs> well, it's because you're not allowed to in uniform. So that's right. And keep your hands out of your goddamn pockets and don't walk on the Sergeant Major's grass. 
That's right. Hey, you know All what? Right. That, you know what? I was in El Paso that. and I had somebody say that, and I looked at them and I asked them where the grass was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now that we're talking there about the reason we, we brought you here, because we're having so much fun, and hopefully the listeners will too. What do you think makes the Ashes of Eternity series? Because you said this is going to be part of a larger series, specifically with you and, and Jeremy. What do you think makes this special? And either one of you can answer. Uh, I, I mean, I. I fell in love with it almost immediately. Um, Deadpool is like my favorite comic book character of all time. And uh, when I started listening to this and like Gary Michael Brown does a great job as the editor or the narrator, sorry. Uh, he, he just brings DeSoto Valentine to life. Uh, all of the, like the pop culture references and just the general badassery that takes place in these books. Uh, it's just a really fun time. Um, yeah, I mean, there it's it's all fun. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> no, it was just, what do you think makes your series special? Well, you know, my biggest thing with my series being special is I think that everything that I do is special because I'm a special boy. But um, <laughs> oh, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in terms of what makes it special, is I wanted to erase. Uh, like we talked about earlier, I wanted to erase that stigma that surrounds uh, the military personnel. I wanted to erase the fact that everybody's a super soldier. Everybody's this. You know, these guys are um, like, uh, what? Am, what's the word I'm trying to say? Like, like uh, you know, the British stiff upper lip type, you know, um, they never they never laugh. They never cry. They're, they're just robots. And I, I, I served with a lot of people that are not like that. We are just as bad as the average military grunt, like doesn't matter it does not matter so uh i wanted to take that element away from science fiction and i wanted to put that humor and comedy into a book you know like you uh you land a shot that no one thought you could actually make and you're gonna just giggle about it you know and you're gonna you're gonna pick on your buddies and you're gonna just gonna have a good time and that's that's what i wanted to bring to ashes of eternity and that is what is different from other uh military science fiction i believe because it is probably not close to uh, actual military in terms of tactics and things like that, because it is small unit combat. I mean, I can only write so many characters. I can't do 50,000 in, in a division or whatever, but um, small unit combat is my forte. And that's, I just think that we're changing it up. And if you don't believe him when he tells you that's what the military is like, there's an anthology coming out that uh, is all the kind those kinds of stories from people that served in Afghanistan and Iraq, but it's called uh, your call is very important to us because it's uh, making jokes about the uh, VA making you wait. Uh, oh God, your service. Um, yeah. So if you don't believe me, there are going to be anthologies coming out. Uh, one of them I actually am participating in, and it's all Doc's fault for introducing me to to the guy. Um, but I'm okay with I mean, that. You, you're going to be able to like there's going to be plenty coming out in the near future where actual veterans are going to tell you their actual stories and you're going to see that half of what you read about from people that you know were cold war soldiers that wrote it theoretically like maybe they missed the mark on some things and i think that's one thing that's one of your specialties jeremy because i've read some of your stuff too is that you tell it like it was at least for us yeah so. I, I try all right, uh, Doc's gonna be very mad, but I'm gonna do this anyway because I assigned this question to me just so she could uh, so she could pout. But what tropes do you feel like you hit uh, in this story when you were writing Ashes of Eternity? Wait, wait, wait! You have to use the word tropealicious now. That's that's for me or that's for Jeremy. They, they would actually take my man card and my blue cord if I use that word. 
Yeah, that is is. not. No, you don't have one. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm gonna say let's let Stephen answer that one since this um, this since Malium is his book. Malum is his book. So let's. Uh, I I'm trying to think. I I I'm not a huge fan of the trope. And so, uh, in fact, Jeremy and I were just talking about that like two or three days ago about how we don't want to do that moving forward with some of our stuff. Um, I, I, I can't think of, I can't think of one that I've used, or if I did, I don't, I did it unintentionally. Um, I will say just from the outside, having read, like I said, I've read several of, of Stephen, um, excuse me, of Jeremy's stuff. He leans heavily into the humanity of the soldier instead of making them somehow larger than life uh, characters out of Greek legend. So and I, I know there are a lot of tropes written around the common man. And for all you write genetically enhanced super soldiers, who I don't understand why people just can't go with it and believe. I mean, it's totally accurate. That's how it's going to be. Uh, sarcasm noted. Uh, I do think you lean into the everyman for all you write, you know, the Spartan super soldier type dudes. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, obviously, like, uh, my character is written from a different perspective than from where Jeremy's at. Um, and so he's definitely like, he's not a super soldier. He's just this normal, like, I'm like, he normal guy trying to like, figure out what his role is in like the fellow military. And so I guess the everyman kind of common humanity piece of the, of the thing is uh would be considered that i suppose okay so what subgenres would this fall into because it sounds like a little bit of action thriller a little bit of men's adventure obviously mill sci-fi were there any other sort of of the niches within uh sci-fi that this fits into uh there's a little bit of fantasy in there um and some of like a tiny fractions of one chapter that's like supposed to be horror um but yeah i'd say like military science fiction uh like action adventure almost uh, and then just like those other ones fantasy and then a little bit of horror at the end cyberpunk there's a lot of cyberpunk inspired stuff in ashes okay (laughs) so does that mean you've got a little bit of the noir in there too because those often go hand in hand or at least just a wee bit just I try. I try to keep it light as much as I possibly can. I try to keep the uh, the noir side of it light because uh, I'm not a particularly large fan of those things. But uh, that's not saying they're not good. Just not my cup of tea. Um, but I do try. I, I like. I like to kind of have the uh, uh, like the replicant androids and things like that. So uh, keep an eye out for those types of things later on. FYI. <laughs> okay. Uh, There's looking forward to it. Oh yeah, there's quite a bit, uh, quite a bit of fun stuff coming. So, okay, all right, Doc, put the wine bottle down. This is time for the intervention. You got to ask questions now. There is no intervention here. Um, we've tried. You don't seem to understand them. So, yeah, you're not supposed to drink with intervened. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's the best way to take it, though. Why didn't they tell me this sooner? <laughs> all right, Doc. Okay, so moving on to the kind of the story itself, can you tell us a bit about the main character in this one? Yeah, so uh, like I said, Gerald uh, Gerald Skydall is the main character. I don't know how it came up with the name. I just wanted to kind of be different. Uh, I don't know if it is or not, but uh, he uh, he's just a normal soldier, um, and obviously is very it's heavily religious, 
um, the book is. And so he wants to be super pious uh, with like the fellow religion and he struggles with doubt is his big thing. He questions, he's, he wants to be a good soldier and follow orders, but at the same time, he questions like the reasoning why they're there. Just like most people who are like PFC, Lance Corporal, specialist, whatever, E3 and below that want to like do a good job, but also like they want to understand why they're there too. And so he struggles with doubt a little bit, um, actually a lot throughout the entire book. It's like the, I would say that's the, the main theme outside of just like the fighting is the, the doubt that he struggles with searching for truth. Okay. So that's a solid answer. No, I mean, and that's a very, it's a really realistic problem we have. Yeah. So, um, but were there any secondary characters that really stood out to you that you can tell us about? Uh, there is one. His name is Andrade Stebbins. Uh, and if you've read any of the other Ashes books, uh, Peter Stebbins is his long, long, long descendant. So like, I don't know, like 10, 10 or 11 or 12 generations between the two is like 4,000 years or something like that. Um, and so uh, he's like the sidekick kind of guy who's always there um, with uh, Skydoll and like fighting alongside of him, asking questions and just like trying to help move him along, but also like he's struggling with doubt as well. And so they're walking through that journey together uh, for, through the, for the most part. So everybody's got to have a good battle, buddy. I can't believe, and I just said that. Anyways. Uh, what? Everybody has to have a good battle, buddy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I have JR. Sometimes. That's why I, I thought you said a good battle buddy. What the hell? <laughs> He's I mean, he always makes me look good. You could be good or you could be good at it. You look good. Wait a minute, Doc. <laughs> really bad at it. <laughs> hey. Uh, now I'm going to start drinking. <laughs> I don't yeah. mind. <laughs> if I still drank no. alcohol, I'd have been drinking an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> Sobriety sucks. <laughs> it had some advantages, though. Uh, you always remember the blackmail material for the next morning. That's, that's true. true. That's true. You can. Well, I often so, do. <laughs> exactly. So, have you any bad guys that you can tell us about without giving away any two spoilers for this? Uh, no, I don't think I do. Let me grab this one. I got this. It was so, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> the, the, bad, <laughs> the bad guys are, of course, the film. Um, now, I've received a lot of criticism over uh, the course of the publication of these books that everybody says, oh, well, this author just hates religion and he wants everyone to know it. Now, that's not a question. It's not even close. So it's not a question of hating religion. It's not a question of liking religion. It is a question of the corruption that exists within humanity. And that's where a lot of that comes from. So the oh, bad I thought guys, you were going to say organized religion. Uh, no, <laughs> we're, we operate on the premise that humans are inherently bad. <laughs> I like that. I, they are. I mean, you know, people people as a general rule aren't terrible, but there are some pretty bad people in the world. But um, so they are the main bad guys in every Ashes of Eternity story until we get into much later, much much later uh, books. But uh, that's the primary is the um, 
uh, excuse me, I lost my train of thought there. Uh, the, Pope. the the characters themselves are the bad guys, if you will. Yes. So, speaking of these characters, if they met you in a dark alley and they knew who you were and what you did to them, how do you think you'd fare? Uh, probably not make it out alive. No, not great. <laughs> that that seems to be a very common answer. Yes. I mean, if I can if I can answer with a straight face that I think the characters would be happy with me, I am lying completely because I put my characters through hell and then some. As you do, that's what you're okay. supposed to do, right? Like that's what makes yeah. an interesting it's story. Like, like just it's like, in the writer's manual. It's on page three thirteen. Yeah, case you want to look it up, people. Mess uh, them up as much as possible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is where we take a sneak peek at how the sausage was made. No Navy jokes, please. We've, we've hit our quota of those for the day. Uh, but were there any cool scenes that were cut from the final book that you thought, you know, might make a cool story for the listeners? Uh, yeah. Do I remember them? No. <laughs> uh, I had, uh, I'll, I'll share the story as a, a rookie amateur writer. I made the mistake of using free software. And uh, about the time, uh, I was about probably three quarters of the way done with the writing, I opened up the the document and just like had shotgun blast a whole bunch of different sections all over the pay, the, the document and like added an extra like 10,000 words. And I'm like, and it, it wasn't like all in one spot. It was like at the end of just like paragraphs all over the place. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know what's going on here. So I, I had to cut out a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I just don't remember it happened so long ago. And, uh, yeah, it took me like 10 hours to go through there. And even like while we were going through like the narration process and the editing and just like, there was just mistakes all over the place. And so, uh, lesson learned, don't ever use free software, uh, if you're trying to write a book for seriousness. And so, uh, yeah, I do. I remember some of those scenes. No, I don't, but I, I know that I had to cut out some of them. I think every person who's ever done any kind of writing, whether it be a story or anything, is crying on your behalf a little bit right now. Yeah, it was very painful. I was very frustrated. It was, it I was, was pretty, halfway it, through. I was it was saying, pretty brutal. I, I was laughing pretty hard. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was halfway through my master's thesis when that happened, and I, I had to redo the last half. I feel your pain. Oof. Yeah. It's, I love that it's unfortunate. Happen. It, it is, but you know, it made you a better writer. And um, Doc gets to make crude jokes in the comments section that you can't see because it's off to the side. But if you would <laughs> look at it, you would be laughing. So, oh, Doc, <laughs> this is why we love her. So, finally, uh, what can you tell us about the universe writ large? So, not everybody is coming into this having read the, the precursor books that that your universe has. So. Can you tell us a little bit about what they can expect in the larger Ashes of Eternity's world? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, people have said that even at, like, that Malum is a good starter book because it takes place before the main the main series does. Um, but there's, uh, I think there's a lot of chaos and confusion, um, a lot of shenanigans that are occurring. Um, but it's a big open world, and Jeremy has done a great job of, like, doing the research when it comes to, like, the scientific properties that take place around, like, black holes and wormholes and, like, the quantum mechanics that are involved in all of that stuff. Um, I think, oh my gosh, I, I quoted a line on Facebook when I was reading through uh, Requiem of a Nightmare where you're talking about how, like, a five-mile ship couldn't land on Earth because it would fall because the Earth isn't flat. 
uh, like stuff like that. It's just like there's a lot of like the realism that actually goes on with like the science behind a lot of these things. And then there's like the fantastic of like these guys are crazy nuts and just like basically do whatever they want to get the job done. And it's I don't know. I, I think it's a lot of fun. So what I learned in Star Trek is that if you invert the polarity of the dilithium crystals, you can do all things. <laughs> That's all you need to do, right? Just invert the polarity. Just in, invert the polarity. Um, I like ragging on Star Trek because it hurts Doc's uh, trekky little heart. But um, all right, so she's going to probably like. Go alone. She's probably going to send a panel van after me later. But Ashes of Eternity, Malum, is clearly part of a larger universe because you told us it was. So what's next for these characters? Where do you see it going for them? Um, well, uh, those that survived, um, I, I'm not sure there's going to be a future for them. Um, I know that uh, some of our novellas, or one of the novellas that's being written is um, kind of a, this is like a precursor to one of those. And so um, I have not decided, I've, I've talked with Jeremy about it, um, but I have not made the decision to write another book about the Feld, mostly because I don't know if I need to write about the Feld again. Um, but we'll see. I think that it could be, they, would, they might show up uh, as a name drop here and there, but uh, I think that there's a potential. Just nothing's in stone right now. Okay. So, I, I, you know, the, every year on the anniversary of the character she killed, J.R. Uh, J. J.K. Rowling sends like the tweets of uh, apologizing for this, this death or that. With uh, with their universe, their apology for this planet, that regiment, like the numbers are a little bit. You're not quite at Warhammer 40k territory on the carnage, but you're getting there. I'm just saying. Oh yes. There's more. Oh, there's so much more. He says, but wait, wait there's wait, more. Are you like John Ringo level where he has to apologize to entire continents at a time? We'll probably be, I'll probably be apologizing for planets after book four releases. Nice. Alderaan had is coming. I'm I won't spoil were... anything, but I will tell you this about Ashes of Eternity 4, the storm. It is violent. It is Way, way too violent. <laughs> if you know Jeremy at all, though, like Warhammer 40k is his bread and butter. So, I mean, there you go. Well, I can see that Warhammer 40k is very strong in his soul because I can see the Adeptus Sororitas influence on your cover art. Uh, yeah, there is that. And I, I will say, uh, if anybody wants cover art like mine, you can't have my artist. She's mine. I pay her. <laughs> but I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. You should see some of the other ones you got for the novellas coming up. They're, they're solid. Actually, so Jr. has one. Um, you want to, you want to yeah, show, show that? You want to show that one off a little bit, Jr. Yeah. This is, uh, this is the one. I, I just have showed. a soft, warm spot in my heart, which is a very small place. So finding one is hard for the Adeptus Sorta nuns with guns. Yeah, there you go. I have, I have an Adeptus Orda army. Really? I tried to do Eldar, and then I joined the Marines and lost my army. No, I I come from a family where we had 15 Games Workshop armies for five people. Yikes. Dang. They've got a little bit of a plastic crack problem, but, you know. Most of my models are pewter. So there you go. Because I did Wood Elves, and I did uh, early Adeptus Orda which was mostly pewter model still. 
And I'm just saying, when when the crap hits the fan, she can always melt them down into musket balls. I saw that, that on Patriot. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, that's, that's true. That's on Patriot. Yeah, I mean, Mel Gibson would never lie to me. Never. No, not not ever. <laughs> not Mel. So, so we know that every literary universe has their own internally consistent rules of science and technology and magic. I don't know if there's any magic in this universe, but uh, what's what can we expect from these books? Uh, you can expect that there is a lot of shooting warfare and there is a lot of ship to ship combat, much in the vein of uh, pirate ships. Uh, you know, the old broadsides and whatnot from uh, from those days of uh, sea exploration. Uh, we have a lot of those elements where it's just uh, straight up space battles, straight up punching it out with the enemy nonstop. It's awesome. So if I'm, you say roll pods and waves of missiles, Doc gets all squirmy. She likes that. Uh, I don't think I've ever used the phrase waves of missiles, but hey, I... I I have used the phrase like rolling barrage on several occasions. So, so. I think uh, I think there's some hack and slash stuff in there too. Oh um, yes, yeah, we got some. I know uh, Malum's got a lot of shoot 'em up hack and slash type stuff um, because for some reason the Fel give their lower enlisted spears and swords, and they probably poke their eye out because that's what lower enlisted people would do. Yep. Yes, that's that's what, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why they couldn't give the specialist a lightsaber. He'd cut his own arm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Doc, you got to you gotta pull this one out of the clench for us. Next question is yours. So what tech in your universe would you want for daily use now? Uh, definitely the starship, because I would love to get the hell off this planet. Uh, I, I think the uh, gene therapy that makes you immune to basically every disease. That'd be fun. I'm down for that. <laughs> okay, and here I was going to say, how are you going to use those? But we already know how Jeremy would by fleeing. I don't blame him. Bye. <laughs> not fleeing. I'm sorry. It's a tactical, strategic withdrawal. Yes, exactly. Attacking it's advancing in a different direction. There you go. That's right. <laughs> so, so I don't know if you could abuse medical tech that just heals you. I was not in a way that's family friendly to describe. That's true. Fair. All right. We'll move on. <laughs> All right, Doc. Okay. Right, calm down. So did you have any aliens? Yes, there are yes. quite a few alien species. Um, okay. So how did you go about creating these aliens? Were they whole cloth, you know, purpose built, or just way too much time watching nature documentaries while it's frozen outside? Yes. All of the <laughs> above. Okay. All of the above, Doc. So, uh, <laughs> The main uh, protagonists, I'm sorry, the main antagonists of the series, uh, in the main series of Ashes of Eternity are the Setoplans, and they actually are a hyper-advanced race of uh, extragalactic aliens that destroyed their own galaxy by back-channel means and doing really dumb things. So they came to our galaxy and decided that they would create their own uh, personal soldiers and then found out that uh, that was a bad idea also. So... Uh, we got those, and then there's the Gilbaglians. They are a avian race. Um, Do they have gills? Gill is in the name. No, no birds. Uh, avians, birds. They're they're evolved from birds. But, but gills is in the name. It's a little bit of misdirection, Doc. It's not called that. 
<laughs> Underwater yes, birds. A little, bit make penguins. a little hand wavy them, as JR likes to say. <laughs> that's that's the, the secret of everything. So uh, I wish we still had that account because at one point in time when we were the old podcast, Chris uh, Winder, one of our former co-hosts, had Hand Wavium University as like a crest, like it was a real college, and he was going to sell the merch, and then life got in the way. I totally rocked that and let people think I really went there. Yeah, I, I think I would too. That's uh, that's pretty straight up. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can get him to, to release the art if he still has it because that's that's the, the answer to a good life, Hand Wavium. Yes. All right, so this interview is clearly winding down, but before we wrap this up, was there anything about Ashes of Eternity Malum that we didn't ask that you want to tell us before we move on? Steve? Uh, not that I can think of. My wife has given me the five-minute warning, so... <laughs> understood, understood. I Watch think we're good. Like that. <laughs> so is this out in... Um, I know it's obviously ebook and print, but is this out in audio as well? Yeah, I it came out in audiobook this last month, yeah. Awesome! Uh, narrated by maxwell zener actually he's uh that's the first ashes book most of uh most of my other ones in fact uh, all of the future ones are uh, by garrett brown uh so yeah max is okay. max is a good guy though he's uh he's good and he's really good at what he does so that helps. yeah max if you're listening to this i loved what you did keep up the good work i think i was just, his 100th audiobook is what he yes told us. it was so no, he, he that's you in a totally non-creepy way i mean we're, we're he's a marine so Garrett, just, shut up. just shut up it, but I mean, it's so it's audiobook get, narrators get really, um, really full. But I think also making it a novella, so it is a freestanding novella in the Ashes universe, right? Yeah, it's. Sort I of. mean, it's really not connected to. It, I mean, it can be, but it's not. It's yeah, so, but I mean, it's it's on it's on the timeline. But right. having that different voice, actually, as a person who's done a lot of audiobook narration, not narrating, listening to narrators. I don't. I like it sometimes when they have a different voice for a different time period. It works. It does. It really does. So because so, otherwise uh, it can all start to blend together. Right. Yeah. So before we wrap this up, dear listener, we'd like to remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do the things. If you can't review it where you bought it, make a website and review it there. It'll be all the rage. People will love you for it. They will sing your praise and accolations. And I just made that word up because I can do that because I'm a writer and I mispronounced no, whatever no, I was trying can't. to say. So uh, before I look like more of a fool, because uh, maybe the beer's kicking in, Jeremy, how can uh, listeners find you? You can find us at downstarproductions.us. That's our website. You can also find us on Facebook, uh, the Downstar Productions fan group. Uh, you can find me uh, under author Jeremy Spires at author Jeremy Spires on Facebook. And I don't do the Twitter thing because Twitter is not a good place to live. So, uh, yeah, basically just the Facebook. And uh, uh, you can also find us on BookFunnel. We're running several promotions right now. Um, if you go to any of those groups, you can take a gander inside those groups for some links. Uh, lots of free books in there to uh, take home and enjoy for absolutely free. Nice. Free is a good price. Free All right. And um, where can listeners find you, uh, Mr. Stephen Conchinai? I butchered it. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Uh, I'm at the same locations. Um, I have uh, just Facebook. I don't do the Twitter thing either. Uh, Twitterverse is not my not my forte. Um, and then just our website that we have, downstarproductions.us. 
Okay. So that is where you can find them. And you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Uh, say hi to Doc. She answers most of those emails and try not to be too rude ish. Um, you can join us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen. This is true. If they're you can rude, join us I delete them. Uh, you can join us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen, facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. You can follow us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. I can count to 10. Don't listen to her. I have more than that fingers and toes. Uh, and so you can also support us on that website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the light on and pay the overhead, but you can also support the show at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-host Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Never surrender. Nobody likes a quitter. <laughs> that is fair. But before we let you go, we've got one last most important question. Pineapple on pizza. How do you feel about it, Stephen? I dig it. He's I'll kicked it. off the show and never allowed back. What about you, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Oh, JR, you know it's delicious. You're just You're just jealous. That's all. All right, Doc, in the show, I'm just going to have to go cry myself to sleep. This is pathetic. These are wrong answers, people. Before JR goes off and pouts, don't make me mute you again. I will. Thank you for, JR, so quietly. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the absentee Nick Garber, JR Hanley, I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, same where, torturing JR. Indulging our love of nerd culture and all things that go boom. <laughs>